Hello lovely people and welcome to another episode of Quintessentially Queer. I am your host George Rallis in case you haven't been keeping up for the past weeks. And today we have with us the lovely Janet Domingos. Hey girl, hey. How are you? Hey. How are you holding up? You okay? Yeah, I've been good. I think I had um ups and downs so far. Like at the start I was very trying to be very productive. Mm -hmm. Quite happy actually about it. Because when we heard the news, me and Goran, I don't yeah. know if you remember, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. We lived together, so we we're both like, okay, this is gonna take six months at least. So we yeah. are already prepared and we were very happy, to be honest. <laughs> because <laughs> we're just, we're just having still some Exactly, yeah, because yeah. We, both of us are just very busy people. So like I was running around and doing like a lot, Goran studying and then working two days at um, the Marcantina mm. and me working like 32 hours mm. at the office. Mm -hmm. And next to that, like um, hosting Fridays and Saturdays, sometimes also the Sundays, sometimes the Wednesdays, and also like trying to do a, a few projects as well mm -hmm. next to it. So I was just like always running around. Yeah. And this time really just forced to relax. Nice, that's good, that's good. Yeah. So before we get into our interview with Janet, I'd like to welcome all of you again to Quintessentially Queer. Yes, of course, <laughs> always. And... Before we spill the fucking tea, let me give you a small little introduction to put you right in context, right? So, I think we all have heard by now about George Floyd. Uh, we're not going to talk about that, but we would like to contextualize a few things before our interview. It feels a bit stupid to me uh, to be talking about these things, to be quite honest. Each time I open my mouth and try and exclaim an opinion about things that come out so natural to me, It seems a bit redundant. I've put a lot of effort in my life to situate myself and my own growth within a specific periphery of perception and of people. Whenever I'm inside it, I always feel a bit trapped because I'm reminded that the reason, right, um, that I did all these things actually makes my experience a little bit limited and defined. Whenever I try to wander off, though, I am reminded actually the reason that I set up these boundaries in the first place. And that is because the social contract, which I'm bound by, doesn't have clauses made for me specifically. Evidently, I'm a very privileged man. In a hierarchy of oppression, I don't come to the lowest that they come. However, that's not the gaze I follow, nor the gaze I hang out with, to be quite honest. In this periphery, what is at bay is a common understanding of empathy. An empathy that has started being thought of in an academic way through intersectional studies and particularly black feminism, with its queen being Kimberly Crenshaw, for those of you that don't know. The experience of being uh, a black woman cannot and should not be grasped in terms of being black or of being a woman. The only way it should be grasped, though, is via intersectionality, as each concept, right, being black, being female, should be considered independently while understanding that these intersecting identities are compound and reinforced upon each other. 
I hate those people that say the only identity that counts is that of human. Live, love, love. Hashtag manifesting my best life. No, bitch. No, it does not. There are people that have died in order to see their people, people like them, stand up to their own fucking self in pride. Be it gay, be it black, be it woman, be it black woman. The first attempt of employment of the terms intersectional feminism and black feminism was in order to actually make sense of how white supremacy and patriarchy interacted to inform the particular experiences of black women that were captured in this, um, let's say, like web of power play, right? That is nothing but actually unfair. Carol Pateman, who wrote The Sexual Social Contract, is talking about the heterosexist, white, cisgendered contract we're all made to sign de facto by birth when we want to become part of society. These clauses do not adhere to the lived experience, though, you know, of most people, actually, in that, in that respect, even white men at some points, you know. However, Toni Morrison said, if you can only be tall when someone is on their knees, then you have a serious fucking problem. And it's about fucking time we all stand up, I think, right? The wave of thought that has actually had the biggest impact in discourse was black feminist identity politics. What was different was that, in their wheelhouse of thought, what they incorporated was an attempt of knowing and of understanding one's own identity by taking into account and making parallel both the personal experience as well as the experiences of those accumulated in history, thus formulating their own background. This had an ulterior motive, to help form a group of like-minded individuals that seek change in the political framework of the patriarchal white supremacist society. It was not about blank people being at top. It was not about rechanging the fucking hierarchy. It's about actually bringing down that hierarchy. Through deconstructing feminism, though, the identity of woman, and by seeking the intersection of prosperity for black life, it was actually identifying the hidden power relations within these texts and within the hierarchy, within the text that they were reading, I mean, and the hierarchy that they were living, and the social situations that were being thrown at them, without actually the recognition of anyone but them. Andrew Sullivan argued that intersectionality was um, a religion of sorts, let's say. In his view, he says that intersectionality posits a classic orthodoxy through which all of human experience is explained and through which all speech must be filtered. Its version of original sin is the power of some identity groups over others. To overcome this sin, you need first to confess, i.e. check your fucking privilege, and subsequently live your life and order your thoughts in a way that keeps this sin at bay. The only difference is now. We ask for everyone to pay attention to it. It refused the stubborn endurance of white dominance and structure. And black feminism actually unveiled single-issue analysis as restrictive and actually just non-applicable. If you're a feminist only for a white woman, then bitch, guess what? You're not actually a feminist. If you're not a feminist for trans woman, then bitch, you actually are not a fucking feminist. By rejecting foundational narratives thus and essentialist concepts, what black feminism did was remove the solipsism of the personal experience and actually exclaim that fuck yes, the personal is and always has been political. But, to make a long story short, the first black woman that was elected in US Congress, who was also the first black candidate to ever run for president, Shirley Chisholm, 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 yes, she said it best. 
What she said was, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring in a fucking folding chair. And honey, we're bringing the table as well at this point. So, the first song, by the way, that we heard was Mona Kingzika by Bonga. And now, let's go to Don't Touch My Hair by Solange before we move in with the interview with Janet. For those of you that live under a rock, that was Solange with Don't Touch My Hair, Queen fucking Solange. Hey, Janet. Hey, girl. How are you? I'm good. Oh, my God. Okay, so while I was actually giving the introduction, uh, Janet, do you, want, do you want to say it? Say, say what happened. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yesterday I posted like a thread about um, what just happened, uh, the murder of George Floyd and how... Um, Uh, yes, people like especially white people have a lot of work to do uh, when it comes to racism because it's just not about when I say that I mean it's like I don't mean that white people are out uh, all white people are killing other black people that's not what I'm saying but like a uh, small things just uh, like institutional racism is a big thing and if like they're like you as a white people need to speak about racism with other people you be more aware of that and you also be more aware of what you can do Um, as a white person to make the life of black persons more bearable. Fuck yes. And that goes with everything, actually. Yeah. We, we, in, in No matter what type of like minority we're talking about, the oppressor, like th- we have this like idea that the oppressed should always go do, the extra mile. Yeah, and do all ed- the work. Yes, to educate the oppressor. And it's like, bitch, it, my, your education is not my fucking job. No one, I don't remember whose quote was this, but like there's this quote that says that um, no minority has ever reached freedom by changing the mind of the oppressor or kind of like, you know what I mean? Inflicting yeah. that power to them. Exactly. It's by bringing more people within their own level of understanding and of empathy. And genuinely, like, especially here, okay, we're going to get in about the Netherlands yeah. like later on in the interview. <laughs> But let's start first with you and then like get into the political yes. stuff. So you said uh, that now you're really relaxed and you're very happy to be chilling. Where do, where do you work Uh, I know that you are a door host. Yes. I know that for sure. So tell me a little bit about that, uh, about your life, what you do. 
Um, so I work as a door host for a bunch of clubs mm-hmm. and a few events. Mm-hmm. And next to that, I always work 32 hours a week, um, like in loanings, like so like a regular paycheck. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. I always want want to be stable. Oh yeah, babe, of course. <laughs> in <I mean>. this, <laughs> so I'm so happy that I always <laughs> was doing that because I needed that when, uh, when Miss Rona happened. I but mean, we're versed, but we're not that versed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's some stability. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice okay cool i mean um so i met janet in sugar factory yeah like the most random night ever <laughs> it was like a tuesday what was it um, i think it was like an after party from um was it enough for nikki wasn't it no babe no no, no, no. Uh, the first time i met you was on a tuesday in uh sugar factory it was a techno tribe oh my god yes right? <laughs> We met properly yeah. at one of Nikki's parties, but I mean, like the first time we kind of like interacted was at a techno tribe, and I went alone because I was like super drunk at this other bar, and no one wanted to join. I'm like, oh fuck it, whatever. And then I was like there um, as like a baby virgin, you know. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, living my best life. And this bitch comes up to me in the fucking smoking room. She's like, girl, I see you trying to walk, and I'm like, yes. So we had a nice little moment in the smoking room. But you see, that's kind of like um, we have nothing in common. At that moment, I mean, yeah. and then kind of like, this is how you fucking make the extra mile to meet one another. You know what I mean? Yeah, we didn't, like, we intersected at one specific point. Be it voguing, be it flamboyance, being be it loud, be it whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what you should fucking do, bitch. Cover the fucking distance and meet people halfway. You know, just be nice to people. Don't be a cunt. Yeah, give people compliments. I love doing that. Yes, 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 yes. That's it. So... Talking about compliments and being so social, what's it like being a door host? I know that, um, I mean, most people know you through Spill Realm. Yeah. Uh, but you work in uh, Claire's as yeah. well? Yeah, that's, that's actually where I started, at Claire. Oh, nice. <laughs> like I a, really a baby like door host, yeah. I really, really like I Claire's. really miss it because I felt like Claire was just um, a, a good mix for uh, for everybody. Mm-hmm. It was just this place with like, how, like house and disco music and... It was um, not queer in uh, per se, yeah. but the people that worked there and the people that came were uh, were very open, yep. and um, the management made an effort to try to be um, more diverse in the sense that to make feel everybody comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like sex- sexism was not not a yeah. thing there, no. and um, they uh, they often try to do a, like a bit um, work with queer um, organizations mm-hmm. to. For um to do a few events there, yeah. So I felt like it was a good place for everybody. Oh, it's great! I went, uh, I went twice. Second time, I don't remember which part it was. But first time, DJ Boring was playing. Yeah, and it was actually right after the first event that I organized in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. And someone told me DJ Boring is playing in Claire's, and it was like a Wednesday. And I love DJ Boring. And I remember a bitch showed up with like fucking cowboy heels and I had this like backless shirt. It was like, it was, I had the best fucking time in Claire's, really. I know Marwan is, Marwan is working there. Yeah, yeah, you know him. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love love him. Yeah. That's, that's also what I love about Claire. Like um, the guards I used to work with, they were so fun. Like the guards and the management, like my manager, this um, mm-hmm. cisgender white heterosexual guy. That <laughs> white, but he watches RuPaul's Drag Race and we're work, always work, work, work. <laughs> always gossiping about it. Like always recapping the episodes. And yes. one always so friendly to everybody, making everybody feel so welcome. It really didn't matter who you were. He's amazing. He's yeah. amazing. So what's it like being a door host? I mean, that's a pretty like social and like basically you put yourself out there, right? Yeah. You kind of like make yourself into this 
think that's um, made for consumption for other people's perception. And that goes the same by me and performing, I mean. Yeah. So what's your relationship with that? How did you end up being a door host? What was the process, let's say, for you? Um, so I started at, at Claire, mm -hmm. like my first gig, and I used to, I worked there until the end, like one and a half years, oh, something nice. like that. And um, I remember Suhaila, a friend of mine, she mm -hmm. used to work there, and she had, that's how I got there. I don't know, I was like going out uh, <laughs> a lot, and I think I, I just wanted, um, I love the night scene, night, yeah. the night culture. That's yeah. like, it did a lot for me um, in ways, in a way of like, when I'm speaking about like how I find myself mm -hmm. and how I got uh, so comfortable with who I am. It was a lot to nightlife and especially uh, <laughs> um, uh, meeting a lot of gay people in the, in the nightlife. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> And um, so I wanted actually I wanted just like to step out of the nightlife a bit more in the sense of like I didn't want to go stop, stop I wanted to stop going out that much yeah but I still wanted to be present in yep, the nightlife yep, yep. so that okay being a host would be a good uh, good transition and also it makes good coins yeah <laughs> so, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I need to pay for this outfit so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, I mean, I was going out a lot in Cyprus as well, to be honest. But then kind of like um, I started performing by accident somehow. Yeah. Because we there were a party that we were organizing with some friends in Cyprus. Like the performer canceled and I was doing belly dancing at the time just for fun, you know. And they're like, how about you perform like belly dance, you know. And I was like, oh my God, no, 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 no way. But I was like, okay, fuck it, whatever. And I really, I remember the moment yeah. where I was kind of like... um. Oh my god! I'm like I'm I'm like shit. Why would I do that? But then I was like, bitch. Actually, you're taking a risk on me, basically, to be the face of your party. You know what I mean? So even if I don't believe in myself, that action of kind of like, I don't know, having to take yourself a little bit outside of yourself and present it in a way is fucking empowering. Yeah. And that is actually what the nightlife does, and that's what gay culture does. I feel as well, and that's why they're so like interlinked with one another. You know. Um, yeah, I But how, where does this so the social uh, so not how do I say you're a very social person is what I'm trying to say super outspoken yeah where does that come from and how does it interact with like being a door host especially at a place like Spielraum because I mean bitch there's like what seven thousand people coming at the door <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Claire is more manageable let's say yeah um, yeah if, yeah Claire is more manageable in the sense that uh, the people that uh, uh, come there are not like as vulnerable I think mm -hmm. as the people that come to um, a spill round, and I mean by vulnerable, I mean you go you go to spill round be because you sorry, you go to spill round beca because you want this place where you where you are sure that you feel safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel that that's uh, very much my responsibility to make sure that everybody that comes there can be themselves in yeah any way that they want, and but most importantly, just feel safe because when I use when I first started go going out, one of my first like. Uh, one of the first parts that really changed the way I looked at nightlife mm -hmm. was um, queer club of um, Circus Cloud, the record was called then mm -hmm. at Rijhoord. Oh, nice! Yeah, it was so much fun. I love Rijhoord so much. Such a great, great place. It's it's actually my favorite place, yeah. like in Amsterdam, like hands down. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, and are there like any prerequisites? Like you have to be a bitch at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's a door bitch. You know <laughs> <laughs> how how is that like? Like how do you what do you channel? Let's say. I, I must say that I first I'm I always try to be nice about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and just and also try to explain why I'm um denying you the entrance. Mm -hmm. And I I never try to make it about how you look because to be honest, that's really not 
what I what I look for when I when I um, that's not the, that's never the reason why I deny someone the entry. It's not yeah. it's not about how you look. I mean, couldn't care less. Yeah. It's just it's both about more the f- yeah the vibe uh, the vibe the energy that I'm getting for, from you. And at, and at a certain point, you've been doing the job so, for so many yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And say years, almost a few years, yeah. <laughs> that you just know that you you know that you know just know when someone doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. quite fit. Yeah, I mean, uh, there I have a lot of I have this conversation with like a lot of people actually about the school particularly because yeah. they have this like uh, policy where they kind of like ask you who's playing which to be honest that I'm a bit like girl okay whatever yeah. but the one I actually agree with is the one about um, people wearing shirts and it's not necessarily about a shirt like yeah. I went to the school wearing a shirt a lot of times you know what I mean but it's about like first of all what the shirt kind of like represents and I'm not talking about like oh wow a shirt represents like patriarchy but like if you see a guy walking in with like a fucking buzz cut and kind of like a white shirt and like a dress shoe and like these nice pants i mean girl i'm gonna be in a thong probably in the basement or i'm gonna be like i don't know with my fucking ass out in the garden i don't want that person sitting next to me because probably that person would judge and of course that is an assumption per se but on the other hand like you can tell the fucking vibe and i felt like um unsafe to be honest a lot of times in in the school to be honest not gonna lie um i remember once i i was wearing this kind of like uh techno outfit first because she did an outfit change right and um a lot of people like oh my god you look amazing like thanks babes because i did but then i was like fuck it because i wanted to change and dress into shakira Yes. Because, like, I'm an oriental <laughs> princess, you know? And then when I did, like, at some point, uh, there was this group of guys that I was kind of, like, passing by them. And they were, like, uh, just kind of, like, making fun of, like, yalan, yalan, kind of, like, doing all these, like, Arabic prayers. And I'm, like, bitch, like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, true fucking story. And I'm, like, first of all, solely the fact that you think just that because I have a beard and I'm more dark-skinned than I'm, like, directly oriental is a bit fucking dumb. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, I'm Mediterranean and close to oriental, but it's, like, even if I was Arabic, like, that you don't fucking do that. And that's exactly the fucking vibe that people uh, like you try to keep out. You know what I mean? Yeah. You create a brave space. You you make that for people, you know? Do you have any stories to share about, like, being a door or, like, I don't know, like an interesting people that you kind of like either denied entrance to or you like, you know? Uh, I must say, yeah, um, at Spiram, you sometimes you have a, a few people that come there and they just say that like, yeah, I'm, I just ask them some questions and like, um, I often ask what queer does mean to you mm-hmm. and there's really no right answer for to that. Mm-hmm. But I just, um, just seeing how people, uh, uh, people's re- reaction to that question mm-hmm. really says a lot about someone is and you don't have to of course you don't have to be queer to go to a queer party no, of course as, not. but um just the way your, your response to it and then someone is like yeah but i'm gay you know so like oh. i have the right to be here oh babes i uh, like what what screaming to you i'm gay <laughs> <laughs> that's not the question i'm asked no it doesn't yeah. work like that really it's so funny because like especially like um before spill around yeah the <laughs> girl on grinder there's like so many profiles that are like it's spilled them for the weekend, like any after parties. And I'm like, girl, you really want a fucking orgy, don't you? Exactly. That's also a few people at the door say, yeah, it's a sex party, right? Oh my god. And that's, that's and that those are the people that like I like to keep out because that's really not the vibe. Yeah. That, that spill is going for. I mean, like, of yeah. course, everybody can have sex. Everyone. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that's not the case, but just like it's not it's not a sex party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how did you? How do? How, how was the? Um, I don't know. I don't have to explain it. Like, how do you feel about this kind of like um, questions being asked in this? First of all, what does queer mean to you? Actually, to yeah. get to that. So I do identify as queer, as uh-huh. a queer black woman to be precise. Yes. And for me, I feel like uh, queer means to be um, non non-normative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. creative and um and it means like uh, having that diversity far beyond the homonormative uh culture yes 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 yeah. bitch. this uh this like homonormativity is like what really bothers me as well to be quite honest um and it's not necessarily because like i expect straight people to be homophobic or sexist yeah. but it's like i'm not surprised you know what i mean but um but also a lot of uh gay people oh yes yeah because being queer is, is uh, really not the same as being gay because a lot no. of gay people that uh, live in this homonormative culture which like which takes a lot of things from the heteronormative culture mm. like uh, monogamy mm. and like not, not having too many bad partners oh honey. yeah <laughs> so just like so just like actually just straight but yeah. You sleep with men. Exactly. Or yeah. women, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. Fucking true. No, girl. I mean, um, I don't know. To be quite honest, like, I don't, I'm a bit, like, butthurt when people are like that because it's like, bitch, we come from the same, like, fucking family. Why are you being like that? Don't spread, don't, don't fucking spread hatred in the community. That's not how it fucking goes. You know what I mean? Um, And it goes beyond just, homonormativity it also goes to the like the whole spectrum of like femphobia uh, a lot of it actually in the gay community um because like l- like being a masculine appearing guy yeah. let's say but then being super feminine in the way i act um is like very confusing and i've gotten like a lot of like uh you know this guy for example like a couple of days ago this friend of mine came over for uh wine and strawberries Mm-hmm. Um, and we were walking to like uh, spa anyway to get some wine, and I wasn't well. Okay, actually, I was super like gay, but I was wearing these like yoga shirts anyway, and these like platforms because literally I was just in shorts at home. So I was walking by, and there's this group of like um, like I don't know, fifteen year olds or some shit, and they stopped and they're like gay, and I'm like, yes, your your observation is right. What are they saying? Yes, I am gay. Yeah, I'm like, do yes. you have some questions for me? Yes, exactly. That's my vibe. That's my vibe as well. I'm like. I am a homosexual man. Your observation was correct. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but this this like um, queerness anyway that uh, a lot of parties promote here in Amsterdam, and actually like in general like the more underground parties I feel. Uh, actually, not all of the fucking parties in Amsterdam that are gay promote that. Um, but it's very like it's very closely linked with nightlife. It always has. Mm. Um. But I saw that, like, in general, like, in queer history, that nightlife was always a very big part of, um, you know, the community itself. Because it always gave this space to just go and, like, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, to be yourself. I feel like uh, during the day, you have to be more controlled and reserved. And during the night, you can just, like, go balls to the walls. Yes, (laughs) yes, honey, that's the vibe. That's the vibe forever. Okay, um, should we go on to a song first? Yes, right? I think it's time to go to a song. Um, should we use... Which one should we use? You sent me one yesterday that was actually super fucking cool that I heard it and I was like, 
Jeseni. Diaba by Urias, that's the one. Okay. Eu sou o oitavo pecado capital Tente entender Eu sempre fui vista por muitos como um mal Não consegue ver Que da sua família eu sou o pilar principal Possuo você Possui você Sua lei me tornou ilegal Me chamaram de suja, louca e sem moral Vão ter que me engolir por bem ou por mal Agora que eu atingi escala mundial Okay, so that was Diaba by Urias. Uh, Janet, you shared some pretty interesting information about the song when we were listening to it. Can you please share? Yes, of course. So this song is by uh, Urias, which is um, a trans woman from Brazil. And um, the song, uh, first of all, is Portuguese, and I speak Portuguese, so I really love that. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the sentences, she talks about her experience as a trans woman in Brazil. And like a few sentences of the, of the song are, like, nice to meet you. I'm the eight deadly sin. Try to understand. I've always been seen by many as evil. Your law made me illegal. Your permission never made a difference. And just because in uh, Brazil has, has become like notorious for the crimes against members of the LGBTQI community, and especially targeting transgender people. Mm-hmm. And I f- this song is just a bit about about that. That's fucking amazing, honestly. Uh, I have one later on, actually, about the USA, but I'm going to yeah. like, close that later on. Um, but let's go back. Let's get back into the nightlife a little bit and how that kind of like formulated uh, yeah. like identity in general for you. Uh, I saw that you were part of uh, Nacht wurde Nacht. Nacht. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I only know one sentence, like in Dutch, and it's like "Ik ben een lekker trut." Ik ben lekker trut. That's the only one I know. Who told you that? Uh, I don't remember this guy in the truth actually. In the end, I was like, "You yes, know what it means?" That I'm a tasty bitch now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the vibe, girl. That's the vibe always. Um, but yeah, so you were in the Nacht wurde the Nacht. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so I uh, Nacht wurde Nacht is uh, from Sichting Nachtburgemeester, mm-hmm. who does um, this, how do you call it? I think it's more, it, it's, um, it's, it's just like to highlight the uh, diversity in the nightlife. Mm-hmm. And like night culture, mm-hmm. it is this evening that I did last year. I'm not sure I did also did it before that, but like last year, and you could like buy a passepartout and go to like a, a few different clubs during mm-hmm. the whole night. And they also had like a few events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like 25 viewers or something, right? For like uh, or like 25 events. 
Yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was it yeah. was super cool, and I saw that you did kind of like an ad campaign for them as yeah, well. With yeah, yeah, um, when I they did this ad campaign where they got a bunch, uh, like a really diverse group of people mm-hmm. that has something, uh, some sort of connection with the night culture, mm-hmm. with they had in the campaign, and uh, Shamiro, the former na- nightmare, did um, the voiceover. Nightmare. Yeah. There's a nightmare in Amsterdam. Didn't you know? No. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Whoa, cool. Yeah. yeah, and they had I really liked the slogan that was like hold the night tight, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was really fucking cool. And I mean, okay, judging like both from I mean both from our perspectives actually, like the night is something that we both hold very dear to us. Lol girl. So like I thought that like my well my mom got my fucking like um birth time like wrong. So I thought that my rising was in fucking Aries all the time. And I was like, oh yeah. And then like actually she realized that I was born at 12 30. Like right after midnight, so my rising is in Cancer, and I'm like, of course I'm born at the fucking witching hour, bitch. Now it makes sense, but like the night is super important actually to both of us, um, judging by the looks of it, and actually that's why I wanted to have you here as well, cause genuinely like, I mean I don't mean to sound like a cunt, but there's a lot of fake bitches in Amsterdam, you know what I mean, and the way that kind of like people treat the nightlife is a little bit too like. Um, blunt for me i like it when people fucking show up and i like it when they're fucking unapologetic about both their identity and actually this notion of fucking holding the night tight to them you know it's not about it's not about a look it's not about like an, a performance it's just about fucking exp- expressing yourself you know and that's actually why i started with this intro is because whenever i see you you don't just look fierce, honey, which you do, by the way. But it's also that you carry this kind of like posture that comes across as you understand the power plays with what you wear, with um, the image you uphold, uh, be, be it door host or just a club goer, you know what I mean? Um, and I see that in your Instagram, for example, as well. You quote like Solange, for one. Uh, about like having Afro hair and in general being very unapologetic, not just about your feminism, but also about your blackness, which I think everyone should, to be quite honest, because clubbing is political inherently, if you ask me. Can you tell me a bit about that? How did that come across? Is it like a conscious thing? Like, how do you, you know? Um, so as a black person, and especially a black female, I feel like my very existence is like an act of activism. Yes, bitch. That's something that I'm always aware of, um, especially in places where the majority is white. Mm-hmm. And which is the nightlife, to be honest, which yeah. is a bit sad. Um, and that's why I also feel like my presence is necessary in a way. Yes. So that, um, because when I first um, was starting to get into the night uh, nightlife, night culture, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. So I was very, um, not that made me feel some type of way, because of course I, I, I like my friends, but it's always it's just... I arose this question in my head from why don't I see a lot of people that look like me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I find it very important also to make sure that I work at a lot of different uh, uh, places so that people that uh, that come there and go out see someone like me at the door. Mm-hmm. That that I think I feel like like makes a lot a big difference for them. Yeah, it really does actually. To be quite honest, not gonna lie. Um, I remember. Oof, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. Anyway, I went to this club. I'm not going to name which one. I'll tell you later, though. Uh, very randomly, that is super straight in, uh, fuck, what do you call it? Light supply? Yeah. yeah. A friend of mine visited, so he was the only one on a Thursday that had something. I'm like, okay, sure, let's go. 
And I didn't even turn out a look, bitch. I just went with like a fishnet and just a light, like, I don't know, black smoky eye, like not, you know. And I went back the door. Jesus Christ, I was being looked at so weirdly. And it was like a very, very white, very, very Dutch straight man, most likely. And the girl that was kind of like on the reservations or some shit, I don't know. And then inside, I have never felt a room turn so fast to look at me ever before. Honestly, it was like, it was like really, really funny. Um, but it's, it's what you said is super important, actually. Um, especially in a place that's predominantly like white people, like the Netherlands, actually. Yeah. Oh, and like the nightlife in Amsterdam. Like an identity has a much deeper gravity in terms of representation, which is fucking like super important, you know? How do you how how does your style come in play with this? Because I feel you talk a lot with your style, babes. Seeing by your necklace just now, I'm like work, bitch. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it's a necklace of Africa, by the way, with like a tree yes. inside. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry. Go on. I um, to be honest, I don't have like, really specific inspirations, mm -hmm. but I, my, my my style is all over the place, and it's that there's that reflection of who I am as a person. And how I feel so like I'm a like a black female from Africa, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. a, hence the black necklace. And also just try to I very much just um, ex uh, express my, myself like my persona through my clothing, which is very colorful mm -hmm. a lot of times. Yes, and <laughs> very out there, which yes. is just like me as a person. Uh, yes. person. Yes, yes. Oh my god, I remember <laughs> you like. I don't know which one you had this weekend that you just shut up like four and you were like this fucking cow outfit. I'm like, yes, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. That's um that's actually like I mean, yeah, I don't personally like I don't do it conscious well, I do it conscious obviously by choosing clothes. But I mean like because I am loud as a person to me, yeah. for example, pairing like purple with green and yellow seems like a very obvious thing, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, oh my god, actually my problem is like every time I wear I, I, I love lime my favorite color lime beautiful green beautiful color love it so every time I kind of like put on the glasses and like no, no oh yes just a little bit of lime it's a touch and then my bike oh which got stolen no but anyway was all fucking lime and then I'm like oh shit this is like a bit intense but you make your fucking presence known yeah exactly and also like it's it's in it's just you need to ask yourself the question do I care yes yes it's like do I care also like people also like also always say yeah but you um but you do it for that attention from other people and that is really not the case i mean i, I, I let's be honest i don't mind the attention i don't <laughs> mind yeah, people yeah. coming up to me and giving me compliments or whatever but that's not the reasons that, that i do it i just like whenever i leave the house i need to look good for me yes i need to look at myself in the mirror and say to myself like i am that bitch yes you're that bitch yes. look at you go yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> look at you going to the supermarket <laughs> in a cat suit <laughs> That's the vibe. That's the fucking vibe. I mean, um, I think, I don't know. I don't know if you think of it that way, but I think it would resonate with you. Like, um, I love attention, right? I think everyone does uh, to an extent, of course. But I feel that, like, I don't care about me per se. Like, I don't care what you think of me as George, but I do care about the meanings that you will get out of it. So, for example, like, the reason I want to be that loud is not because, oh, I want people to think, like, oh, George is a fierce bitch. It's because maybe there's like some person that is into belly dancing or is fucking hairy or is like la 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 that will be like, oh, work, bitch. I see you, yeah. you know? And that's the fucking point is for people to fucking see you. And especially the people that 
wouldn't see you otherwise actually yeah. so you need that fucking glitter yeah and also people see you being you mm-hmm. and i feel that uh, that gives them some kind of permission because that's also the thing a, a lot of people feel like they can't uh, uh, wear something because they will feel judged and yeah. then when you see someone else yeah, yeah. just doing what you wanted to do and just living their best life i feel that gives them permission to also just yes. say i don't give a fuck yes that's the fucking word bitch it's like i get this a lot about my nails because i actually had like long nails before i cut them now but i still like uh paint them but um this this this, this guy was kind of like to me oh my god i love your nails i wish i could like paint my nails i'm like um bitch go buy fucking manicure and just paint your nails you can you're a grown-ass fucking man you can do whatever the fuck you want you yeah. know what i mean yeah i also get some girls like uh, come up coming up to me like yeah i love it that you basically wear nothing <laughs> 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 and i wish i could do that but like i don't have this and that and that like god did, have you did you look at me like i'm also i'm like 158 centimeters i'm like very tall <laughs> with thick legs i'm like i'm definitely not have the supermodel look but it's not about it. Just like as long as you feel confident in what you're wearing, then the rest doesn't matter. Yes, that's the fucking vibe. And I that's the like uh, that's why I wanted you specifically to talk about this subject actually, because I feel that. Uh, uh, first of all, how long have you been living here? I feel like in Amst- in Amsterdam in, in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, I uh, so we fled from Angola when I was six or seven years old. And I'm okay. twenty five now. Okay. Yeah. How was that? Uh, your mom fled here. You told me. Yeah. So um, my uh, I used to live in Angola. That's where I was born. Uh-huh. Me, uh, my mom, and my two little brothers. Who at the time, where one was like a few months old, so I literally just hold them in my hands, and uh, the other one's like two years old. Uh, there was a civil war in Angola, mm-hmm. and my dad got killed. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, so my mom decided this is enough. I can't, uh, I can't bring up children in a situation. And she fled with us to uh, the Netherlands and we uh, asked uh, ex- uh, ex- asylum here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just then first and then you just get into like this big camps with a lot of bunch of different people that from other war-torn countries. Yes. And from there you move like to different, different camps. And at one point, which is so weird, like we have been here for years and then someone says you can stay or you cannot stay. Yeah. Which is, which doesn't make any sense at all because no. a few people I know had to go back mm. while they were living here for mm. years. Like the children grew up here. Yeah, I can I couldn't imagine like yeah, yeah, going yeah. back to Angola. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, um, my dad is an inland refugee, right? Uh, so he migrated too because half of Cyprus is basically like um, occupied by Turkey as well. Yeah. Um, so like that's the thing like uh, I, I was asking him at some point kind of like would you actually go back if you had the chance like to me no my home is here now like i've built my whole fucking life yeah. and having like someone have power like this case where you kind of like ask for asylum right over your life it's like you're letting go completely your body uh politically to this sovereign power that actually gets to decide your fucking fate and that's like crazy it, it is because yeah. like you're contributing to the society here as well, you know? Yeah. Um, that's crazy. And I also feel like a lot of people um, have such a misjudgment of uh, refugees because, uh, and I'm almost crying when I think about it, like, but my mom, she, she like, sacrificed so much to get us here. Mm-hmm. She left her whole family there and came here on her own with three children. Yeah, and my, one of my, my little brother, like the smallest one, was very sick. So she was, she came here with three children, one which was very sick, 
and left, left her whole family back there. And then she has to, had to build a whole la- new life here without speaking the language, yeah. whatever. So like people like re- to flee flee your own country is like the last resort. People yes. don't people really don't want to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the that's the fucking misconception that makes me so fucking angry that people think that refugees and immigrants and all these people come to like take what you have. Like they don't want that. No, they just want like a better life for yes. for themselves, especially their children. That's like the the biggest uh, uh, biggest reason for refugees to leave their country mm-hmm. to build a better life for the for the children because their own country can do that. And and to be honest, that's just only because the. Because of slavery, yeah, <laughs> let's just yeah. be honest. It's mostly just yeah. uh, for I mean, for Africa's because of slavery, or the Western world. It's always because of the Western world, or because um, the consequences of slavery, or because uh, the consequences of the Western world bombing um, bombing countries. Yeah, I know it's fucked up. Like seriously, though, I don't. It's this. Okay, listen, I'm I'm quite privileged right now because my parents have been working their fucking ass off right their whole life. Literally, ever since I can remember, my dad has been working like uh, four jobs or some shit. Uh, but my parents came from like nothing. My dad was like living in a fucking tent with his like um, seven brothers and parents, like you know what I mean, for like months after the war happened. Um, yo, obviously because it was like an inland situation, the racism wasn't that much to be quite honest. But you still see kind of like a segregation in the way that people think about refugees and how they are being, I mean, at that point, how they were being kind of like incorporated within the society. And even here, actually, coming as an expat, I see, like, the difficulties when I'm being faced with, like, white, um, heterosexist, supremacist, et cetera, et cetera, like, Dutch people. It's it's a bit alarming. Yeah, it is. Um, Especially, so that's the misconception people have about the Netherlands is that they think that uh, the Netherlands is not that racist be- uh, because look at how it is in America. Um, and if just because black people or just uh, don't or people of color do not uh, don't get killed on a daily basis like in America, there's still a lot of racism here. Um, um, Kick out what Beats uh, wrote, um, Dutch media is quick to um, paint out the racism in the US, but it's a systematic problem in the Netherlands as well. Fortunately, uh, police violence and racial profiling does not lead to death that often here. But we can't forget, um, uh, like, the murder of Mitchell Henriquez, Mm -hmm. um, a guy that got choked to death. And also just, like, if a guy that got choked to death by the police. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just how the police handled the protesters from Kikau Sartapit. Yeah. There's a non-violent protesters that got... Yeah. It's with so much violence by the police, yeah. so like th- this kind of uh, this kind of sit- uh, um, situations just uh, get to show that the Netherlands also had lo- so much work to do. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, girl. Like I was reading uh, this article a couple of weeks ago about. Uh, oh, I'm gonna. I mean, whatever. I don't remember which magazine it was, but it was like a pretty big magazine here, and they had this kind of like section. About a styling magazine and lifestyle yeah. shit. Uh, about how kind of like to dress up like um, your favorite nigga bitch. And we're talking about Rihanna. Fucking literally. And then Rihanna saw it. And obviously uh, the editor-in-chief got fired. But like the fact that someone thinks that they have the entitlement. Are you joking? And the right to do that is like crazy to me. Like fucking crazy. And that just gets to show like 
people think think about racism that is only like a, a, a black people get, uh, getting killed by white cops, but it's just so much um, more than that. Because we as a society need to dismantle institutional, ca- mm-hmm. uh, casual, con- uh, consciously or unconsciously consciously racism. Mm-hmm. That's that needs to be dismantled for for us as society to like move further. Uh, sorry, I just found the article yeah. now. It's uh, it was in um, the Guardian actually, yeah. uh, and it was from Jackie magazine. Then it actually used like dress up like your favorite nigga bitch. That's th- was the the head. That, well, that was kind of like the description, yeah. but the article was called De Nigga Bitch, <gasps> literally. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's that's fucked up on so many levels. When was this? It was 2011. Okay, it's still nine years ago, but it's not but that still. far away. You know, we had fucking co- political correctness back then too. And even Zwarte Piet, which is still going on. It's still going on. I cannot believe that people actually argue about that still. That they think that that's right. Seriously though, or um, what's the other? Th- uh, what are they called? Like the big hoop earrings? Yeah, and they're called like slave earrings. Yeah, like oh yeah, my god! Yeah, and Hanem put that on the website. Yeah. yeah, Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah, but actually, sorry, sorry, go on. Yes. No, I just think uh, that people just think like being nice does, does mean that you're not racist, which which is it's just not. It's, People need to start educating themselves more about racism because racism is just so much more than only not not hating people of color. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's like passive racism, and that's a bit like more dangerous. Actually, yeah. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and I was t- telling him like the incident about what about those um 15 year olds calling me gay, and obviously it threw me off a little bit because when that guy was stabbed, like it was quite recent right here yeah. uh, and was by 14 year olds but i was telling him how kind of like once um like here someone was calling me like a uh, ugly faggot when i was walking down the street but that i was like fuck you you know what i mean fuck off but these people are just like gay like that to me hurts a little bit more because it shows ignorance because the people that like hate you right no, the people that are indifferent to you and they want nothing to do with you, they really won't come as close to ask why you are what you are. But the people that are just indifferent, sorry, the people that are just like ignorant, they will actually have the audacity to come up to you and think that there's nothing wrong with asking you like, oh, it's like, who's the guy and who's the girl in the relationship? Or like, you know what I mean? Where are you from? And yeah. you'd be like, Dutch, but where are you really from? Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's because they they're not willing to do the work. Yes, that's fucking it. That's fucking it. Like seriously though, uh, let's go to one song before we part off with our last words. And right now, let me put you one of my songs, which I think you will love. Actually, do you know Zenzil? Zenzile? No. Okay, let's go to Zenzil and smell the roses. Listen to the lyrics. Sometimes I wish people would wake up and smell the roses Somebody once said, those who feel it, know it Somehow in this new world order, something old is lost But at what cost, at what cost 
wish people would wake up and smell the roses. Somebody once said, those who feel it, they know it. Those who feel it, they know it. Somehow in this new world order, something is lost. But at what cost? At what cost? The people, they don't know. They don't know who they are. Okay, so for those of you that want to listen to the whole song, please check it out. It's called Smell the Roses. It's super cool later on. She has a very strong spoken part, but uh, it takes too long. It's like uh, six minutes, so let's not get into that. But just to wrap up, actually, that's exactly why I wanted to bring you specifically here. Because, um, at least from my experience, right, which could be um, minimum as well, uh, taking into consideration I've only been living here for almost two years now, is because, like, there's, like, I feel that in the Netherlands, people are kind of, like, um, a bit too afraid to be unapologetically political. You know what I mean? And be, uh, I don't... Honestly, I don't think either of us is that radical with our ideas. Not really not, you know what I mean? Or how we kind of like execute them, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's why I wanted you specifically because with every every time that I see you, you do demand this presence and you do demand the space. And that's the fucking way it should be, bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even the picture that um, I told you yesterday that I want to use for yeah. the, you know what I mean? That is just beautiful. And people don't think that way to kind of like put in that effort to substantiate their identity. So, work. <laughs> and I think everyone should be doing that, to be quite honest. I mean, and it has been for me a journey as well. Mm-hmm. But I just decided that I need to take up that space for, for not, not only for myself, but also for, for other people. Yes. For other black women. Yes, that's the fucking vibe. What do you identify as, by the way, gender-wise, if I may ask? Uh, yes, I identify as uh, female. Work, And okay. uh, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, as I, yeah. And I, I identify as pansexual as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and work. Queer. Oh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. Like, every time I kind of, like, tell people that I identify as, like, genderqueer, queer, like, all other like, to me, kind of like, why all those things? Because I'm like, they're different to one another. Yeah. Like very different. different. And they accumulate a sense of personality. You know what I mean? Um, And I think it's time that people actually understand that these things come in interplay, in an interplay with how you control the situations around you, how you carry yourself, how you carry other people with what you're doing. And the meanings that you share by the people that actually don't understand what you carry. And that's the fucking important stuff. Do you have any aspirations for the future? Just to close off, any goals, any wishes, maybe? Yeah, I'm actually. Uh, my goal now is working on documentary. Actually, really? Yeah. Oh, would you like to share a little bit about that? I mean, like, if you can. Uh, it's just like in, in, in baby steps right now. Uh-huh. But, um, 
uh, with the situation that's going on in in the world right now, I just felt um, because I there's something I'm talking about a lot with uh, friends of mine, especially mm-hmm. two friends of mine, yeah. Lazia and uh, Isabel, and we just decided that it was um, time we took some action. So it's like now preparing to make a documentary. Nice, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. Best of luck with that. Thank that's you. Beautiful. Okay, so actually I found the quote that I was trying to say before and I think I will close off with that. It's by Asada Shakur that was in the Black Liberation Army and the Black Panthers and the bitch is fearless. She she got arrested, obviously, yeah. with all that. She fled so yes. that you see. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. broke from fucking prison. <laughs> And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was the most wanted. I think the first female most wanted by the FBI. (laughs) Queen, queen. So the quote goes like this. Nobody in the world, nobody in history has ever gotten their freedom by appealing to the moral sense of people who are oppressing them. And that's the fucking vibe, bitch. The point is not to fucking appeal to their moral sense, but to create a fucking moral sense for everyone else to adhere to and join you on this fucking empathy journey. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming. Thank it was a pleasure. Wait, where where are my sound effects? <laughs> I have a sound effect. Okay, so this was Janet Domingos. Wait. No. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah. Queen. <laughs> yes, Queen. And this was another episode of Quintessentially Queer with your lovely host, George Rallis. And if you haven't heard before, before, you can follow me on Instagram under Gravity Grave and the podcast and my theoretical, let's say, backdrop under Quintessentially Queer on Facebook. And you can follow Janet on Instagram under, can you say it? Yes, it's at uh, Tita. Which basically means I have no tits in Dutch. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, are you serious? <laughs> I was wondering for a while what that meant. Thank you. Okay. That's, that's, that's the fucking right way to close off, bitch. Okay. Kisses, people. I will leave you with Taking Back with Che, by the way. by Beardy Man. You said... Where there's Guantanamo Bay I really don't know much more Other than that Other than that
love him And he led the people out from fucking Where was he from again? Chile or something <laughs> I think so He went to Cuba and made a whole new government Where the people were not juggling greed and disbelief every fucking day <laughs> And that's why I think I'll probably get on well with Che He seems like a nice chap, hey Allowing the people to create them Grab hold of the resources that would make them happy I'd fucking sit and have a cup of tea with him gladly And probably just sit on a canapé I mean, uh, a sofa and eat a canapé with Shay But Shay probably wouldn't eat canapés Cause that's not his type of thing, it's too bougie We'd probably sit and watch black and white movies From the mid-70s, that would be my groovy Shay, what you got to do to me? Maybe Shay would be a dope lover Or maybe, maybe Shay would have some words for my mother Cause he's a lot older than me, isn't he? I mean, he was killed by who? Probably the USA, that's the type of shit they do! Viva, viva! Viva freedom, in whatever way it comes to ya I say I want to talk to ya Viva, viva! Viva freedom, say whatever way it comes to ya I said I really want to talk to ya I said viva, 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 viva! Viva revolution, about to rewrite the constitution I was thinking about it just the other day What would it be like to just spark a Cuban with my homeboy Shay? I figure out, yeah what I would do I would chill out in Cuba or Haiti right next to you And learn a couple things about the revolution And that's how I do it, I got solutions for my people You know we need them, a new government and new rules around freedom for education and the healthcare because we got to help people out there. We need some welfare because we don't fare well because when it comes to jobs, we're not getting there. Well, we've got to make our own so as entrepreneurial flows upon the microphone. The apprentice and I said it, yeah, I'm hired. I'm in the suit attire. I'm never getting fired. You know that I am wired and focused on my task at hand. So please, give me a couple grand that I can put away And have that for my kids so I can afford it Just like you can get a mortgage Do you know I'm up lower class But I'm on the upper right, the middle You know we're coming fast Viva, viva The revolution, I said <laughs>